Welcome to the Life Melbourne podcast. We're so glad you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. So good. Fantastic. Why don't you grab your seats? You know, I, I really do. I want to I share a word, but I want to share a lot of my story today. Uh, tonight, I'm really going to uh, we've been known, I travelled for nine years as an itinerant all around the world and, and we're really known for seeing people get set free of things like anxiety, uh, depression, addictions and, and just seeing God do supernatural stuff. We've seen thousands of people get free. So tonight, if you know someone that needs that miracle, you need to do everything you can to get them here tonight. And, and so, uh, but just want to share, share my, my story. I actually, I live on the Gold Coast right now, suffering for Jesus on the Gold Coast. <laughs> Pray for me, please. Uh, but we've just planted a church, so really pray for me, because uh, it might be the Gold Coast, but we're planting a church. And, and, uh, but I actually grew up in Melbourne, uh, not that far from here. Uh, I, I worked on the CityLink. I helped build that uh, thing when I was 18 years old. Uh, you know, I didn't really do much, but anyway, I, was, <laughs> I had a job. And, and, but I grew up, I went to Strathmore High, uh, not far from here. Uh, so I've got at least one friend somewhere, oh, a couple of friends, I'll see another hand. Uh, and so, uh, but you know, I grew up, my parents uh, divorced when I was about five. Uh, my, my dad did a whole heap of drugs. We'd stay with my dad on Friday nights and there'd be 20, 30 guys over partying, doing drugs. Uh, my mum also uh, dabbled in drugs, especially marijuana, uh, a lot of excessive alcohol. Uh, most of my aunties and uncles either did drugs or excessive alcohol. Uh, even uh, some of my grandparents did drugs. Uh, you know you're in trouble when granddad smokes bongs, okay? That's, just, that, that's a bad start to life. And uh, uh, I followed in my dad's footsteps and at about 12 years old, I started to smoke cigarettes, binge drink, uh, marijuana. Uh, at 15, I was injecting amphetamines. Uh, at 16, I, I took an acid trip where I had a very demonic encounter. I'm going to share that story in my last 10 minutes. And, you know, I have to warn you in a sense, it's a pretty out there story, uh, but it's just what happened to me. I can't tell it any other way. It, it's what happened to me through my perspective. And, and so that left me with what psychologists would have diagnosed as drug-induced psychosis, where I was hearing voices, the television would speak to me. At 19, I almost ended my life because I couldn't handle it anymore. Uh, but, you know, I, I'd had this auntie that had been praying for me for 17 years that I would one day encounter the love of Jesus. She was the only believer in our entire family. And for 17 years, she continued to appear before heaven and pray for her nephew, Lucas Connell. And at 23, at 21, I left Melbourne uh, to move to Surface Paradise to kind of, you know, get a fresh start off drugs. Uh, I wasn't the smartest young man because you don't move to Surface Paradise to get off drugs. Uh, and, and, but thankfully, God had a plan. I moved there and kept partying. But at 23 years old, I had to ring this auntie to say thank you for a birthday card that she had sent me. In the, in the card, it said, as it did every year, that Jesus loved me. It had a Bible verse that God had a plan for my life. And if I be honest, I got the card and think, yep, she's a Christian crackpot. And, and kind of just, you know, tossed the card to the side. But it was two weeks after my mum rang me and said, hey, you never rang your auntie to say thank you for the card. And so I was getting ready to go to a nightclub in Surface Paradise and just to get my mum off my back, I thought I'll quickly ring my auntie. It'll just take 30 seconds. And I ring her up and the moment I hear her say, hello, hello, literally as I hear her voice, it was like heaven opened up. 
and the love of the Father came over my whole being and, and, and I, was, I was so overwhelmed that she's there saying hello, hello and I couldn't speak back because I knew if I even said one word, I was gonna break and cry like a baby. And eventually, you know, after her persisting, I said hello and I broke and I said it's me. And, I, and really what happened is repentance started to come out of my heart because I started saying things like, you know, I, I wanted to be someone when I was a little boy and I, I didn't want to be a, a junkie or a drug addict. And, and in that moment, she helped lead me to Jesus Christ. And for the first time, I prayed a prayer to invite him into my life. Uh, I've got a photo, I think, of what I look like. Have we got that? There I am, uh, making a cake. I can't tell you what's in the cake. Uh, no, I'm just messing with you. Uh, but there I am, and, and I was pretty messed up. You can take that down because it's embarrassing. Uh, and so I have this powerful encounter. I walk into a church, and two weeks later, I have an encounter where the Holy Spirit turns up to my house. I was born again, but still addicted to marijuana and cigarettes. And, and who knows that you can be a Christian, but still have stuff going on in your life. That, that's called being a human being. And it's why we need a savior. His name is Jesus. And, and so... I remember crying out to God and just two weeks saved and, and I remember just getting desperate and saying, God, I'm sick of being a drug addict, God. I've been one almost my whole life. God, I want you to take this away from me. And, and, and I started to hit the ground as a two-week-old Christian. I said, God, when will you do it? And he spoke to me and he said, right now. And literally from that moment, cigarettes gone, drugs gone. You know, I was smoking a pack a day and I literally from that moment, the addiction was completely gone and it set me free in a moment. You know, he also spoke to me and, and see the night before this encounter, I had been at a new Christians class. Like I said, I'd just been in the church two weeks and while I'm in this class with six people, uh, all these young adults start rocking up to the church in fancy dress costumes. And, and I said to the guy, I goes, what's going on? Like, is this a cult or something? You know, and, anyway, and, and one of the girls was just using the, the rooms for her party, which was fancy dress. And next minute, she, as I'm asking, she walks into the room and, and she's to get something out of a cupboard and she's dressed as Barbie. She has like Barbie skirt, Barbie shoes, Barbie hair. Uh, she walks in, I start drooling a little bit. Uh, I'd only been saved two weeks. And, and, and I said, how you doing? Uh, she ignored me because I looked like the cake guy. Anyway, and, and so, and she went off and had her party and that was the end of my Barbie experience. I've been in counseling ever since. No, not really. But, but she went off and had her party. The next night, I'm having this God encounter where God sets me free. He delivers me in a moment. But then he speaks to me and he says, the girl you saw last night, she's the girl you're going to marry. I said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it for you. God, send me. I will go. And so the next day, I got up and I changed my name to Kent. And no, I didn't really. It took her a year and a half to come to her senses and see what she was missing out. No, not really. But uh, eventually, after about a year and a half, we eventually got married. We've been married almost 21 years. I've got a photo of her when she was dressed as Barbie. Have we got that there? There she was on her 23rd birthday party. And, uh, you know, we have two beautiful boys and, and God's just been so good. And, and uh, you know, I'm so thankful to all that he's done. And uh, our two boys are just incredible and doing great things for God. And, you know, I want to share a scripture, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And, and you know, b before, let me give you context of what's happening. Saul was the first king of Israel. 
And, and so he was the very first king. He was chosen by God uh, at the request of the people, even though God didn't want to do it. And, and, and God wanted Saul to do well, but Saul eventually followed his own sinful nature and consulted witches and lost everything God wanted him to have. Saul's life ends with him deliberately falling on his sword because the enemy was about to kill him. On the same day, his son Jonathan, who was meant to inherit the kingdom, is also killed by the enemy. David and Jonathan, King David and Jonathan, were well, at that time it was just David, were best friends. They loved each other deeply. And then we find ourselves, Saul is dead, Jonathan's dead. And now one of the first things that David does as king is here in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1. And David asked, is there anyone left from the house of Saul who I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Yeah. And so David's now the king and he says, who can I bless for the sake of the love that I had for Jonathan? And rather than read the whole story, let me tell you what happens. There's a servant named Ziba, and he says, well, actually, Jonathan has a son called Mephibosheth, who is crippled in both of his feet. He lives in a place called Lodabar. This young crippled boy is brought before the king, and he's petrified because he thinks he's about to be executed, which was common practice when you were related to the previous king. As he comes, he's petrified, and David says, fear not. He says, I'm going to give you back the land that your grandfather lost. I'm going to give you servants to work the land. And from now on, you will sit at my table as if you were one of the king's sons. The amazing thing about this story is it happened thousands of years before Jesus came and showed us the gospel, but the gospel was woven into the very fabric of history thousands of years before God fully revealed it. And so I want to, I need some help. Uh, if I can get Kane to come, and, and is it Brendan, if you could come as well? And I need two more guys. If you could come, you're just the first guy I saw. And, and, and so if you could come as well. Uh, Kane, you can go on that side by yourself. And then if you guys can go over here. Uh, if, yep. And so we're going to go youngest to oldest. So I'm sorry, so there's a little bit of gray. So you're going to go with the oldest. Uh, just a little bit, it's not much. But if you can go down that end, all right. And, that, and you could go here, that would be awesome, okay? All right, so what we've got here, okay, is, I, and I haven't done this perfectly, but we've got three generations represented here, okay? We've got Grandfather Saul, I'm sorry. Uh, we've got his son, Jonathan, and then we've got Mephibosheth, okay? And, and, then, and then I deliberately chose Cain to be David because the Bible says that David was handsome, okay? And, 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 I, and we're in church, so I have to be honest and truthful. Cain picked me up today. He's actually heard this message on podcast and he asked if he could be David. And so, I, I, all right, man, I'm, no, I'm just messing with you. He didn't do that, okay? Maybe. Uh, anyway. And so, all right, what we've got is three generations. I want, to, I want you to catch this, okay? Three generations. So the first is, is, is Saul, the first. Remember, he's the first, the first of these generations. See, a lot of people can read the Bible, and if you don't know the history of this story, that's okay. You'll catch on as we go. But, but they can read this story, and because Saul did such a bad job as king, you could think that he wasn't chosen by God, but actually God chose Saul. God wanted Saul to rule, reign, have authority, dominion, and be a great king. He wanted him to to be blessed, but Saul gave in to his own sinful nature and lost everything that God wanted him to have. The first of this generation is actually a picture of the very first man. 
in Adam, who God also chose. God wanted Adam to rule, reign, have authority and dominion and enjoy the blessing of God. But Adam also gave in to his sinful nature and lost everything that God wanted him to have. And every human being after Adam has been born with a sinful nature. You don't have to teach a child to be naughty. It's naturally already inside of them and we need to teach them to be good. And so then we have the second generation, the, the, the second which is Jonathan. And so in this particular day, everybody knew that it was Jonathan's birthright to become the king. He was Saul's son. It was his to claim. It was his inheritance. But if you go back a few chapters, there's a moment where Jonathan, knowing that it's his birthright to be king, he comes to David, who we recognise that the Spirit of God has called David to be the next king. And there's this moment where Jonathan comes and he lays down his robe and his belt and his sword. And what he's saying to David is, although the kingdom is mine to claim, I recognise what the Spirit of God is doing and I lay down what is mine for the good of God the Father and for the good of everyone else. See, David represents God the Father, and so Jonathan represents the, the second. He represents Jesus Christ, who some call the second Adam or the last Adam. See, because Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago as the Son of God, and He could have claimed back what was His. But rather than claim it back, He came to lay down His very life for the good of God the Father and for the good of everybody else. So we have three generations. We have the first Adam, the second or the last Adam in Jesus Christ. And then we have Mephibosheth who represents everybody to be born after Jesus Christ. See, the Bible says that Mephibosheth was crippled in both of his feet. In other words, he couldn't get to where he was meant to be. See, we're all called to live in intimate relationship with God, but we're all crippled by this sinful nature that can get in the way of me being who I'm called to be. He was living in a place called Lodabar, which actually means place of desolation. He, he represents a, a, a people that live in this city, in our nation, in other nations, that are trapped and living in desolation. They're crippled by sin. But, but then we see that the, we read the scripture of, of David who represents the father where he comes and he says, who can I bless from the house of Saul for the sake of my son Jonathan? What he's really saying when you understand what I've just presented is who that's trapped and crippled by sin? Who can I bless? Who can I invite to sit at my table as a king's son or daughter? Who can I give an inheritance to for the sake of my son Jesus who came to the earth to pour out his life so that others could sit at the table of God's family. Can we give these guys a big shout? See, my mind also races a little because I'm a, like a visual person and, and if it's the whole story of God, we had God the Father, we had God the Son, but where's Holy Spirit? And then my mind also races because Lodabar, where Mephibosheth lived, was on the poor side of town and where the king lived was on the wealthy side of town, great geographical distance between the two. How did this crippled boy in that day get all the way to the king's palace. And I don't think it's a stretch because in the story, the servant named Zeba was the one that knew all about this young boy. He knew where he lived. He knew who he was. He, he, he knew all about him. 
And it's common practice for the king's servant called Ziba to go and fulfill the king's request to bring this young boy to the palace. See, Ziba's meaning, if you, if you trace it back in the Hebrew, it means the Lord's army. Because it's the Lord's army's job to leave the palace, to go to the place of desolation, to find people that are crippled and broken by sin, but carry them to the house of God where they can sit as children of the Most High God, where they can partake and receive of the inheritance that Jesus died for them to have. You say, where's the Holy Spirit? Well, Acts 1.8 says that the, 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 the purpose of the Holy Spirit is so that every believer would receive dunamis dynamic power to be effective witnesses wherever we go. Where was the Holy Spirit? He was on the Lord's army, anointing and empowering the Lord's army to carry someone to salvation. See, I'm so thankful that I had an auntie that wasn't just into doing fellowship every week, although that's incredibly important. I'm so thankful that I had an auntie who wasn't just about listening to the Word of God every week, although that's incredibly important. But I'm thankful that I had an auntie that knew that she was part of the Lord's army, that she was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And even if it took 17 years, she was going to carry this crippled, broken boy until I found my seat sitting at the king's table, receiving the inheritance that Christ died for me to have. And so I want to just really quickly give you three things that my auntie did practically but, but they're also kind of three things. I'll explain the kind of at the end. It, 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 that Jesus also does to bring us to the place of salvation, to our destiny. The first thing my auntie did is, number one, she simply came down to where I was at. You know, I can remember when I was at my worst and it was the equivalent of ice, but I'd been awake for three or four days without any sleep. And I remember I'd licked my lips compulsively so much that my whole lips became giant scabs. I'd scratch my face with paranoia and end up with scabs and marks. And after three days of no sleep, I was white and pasty. I hardly made any sense at all because I was a scatterbrain. But you know what? I can't remember an occasion when my auntie came and spoke down to me because she never rode in on her Christian high horse to tell me how bad I was and how I was a terrible sinner. I just needed to look in the mirror to know how bad life was. But every time she came, she came down to where I was at. She spoke a language that I could understand. She spoke things that even in my state, I could understand. She came down to where I was at. See, the great apostle Paul said, become all things to all men that you might win some. You know, I said that Jesus does these things too. I'm so thankful that we serve a God that didn't say, hey, when you get your stuff together, then you can come up to where I'm at. But he said, no, 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 let me come down to your messy addiction. Let me come down to that, that, that messy situation, to that place. Let me come down to where you're at so that I can help take you to where you're meant to be. The second thing that she did is that she simply, my auntie, she embarrassed us with generosity. I grew up in Melbourne, a single mum family. And I can't remember a time when this auntie, she's never been married, she's never had a great income. But I can't remember a time when she'd turn up to our house empty-handed. There was always, at the minimum, a card that had beautiful words in it about our family. 
There were Bible story books for us as little kids. There were chocolates, there were, you know, and whenever we'd move house, there was no bringing in the moving guys or the cleaners because we didn't have the money for that. It was do it yourself. And all my mum's brothers and sisters, she had six brothers and sisters. This one auntie was always the first one to arrive and the last one to leave because she just made a decision that I'm going to embarrass you with generosity until you give praise to God in heaven. Matthew 5, I think it's 16, it says exactly that. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, I preached this message in Perth and, and there was a doctor in the crowd that had all these drug addicts coming to his clinic and he had such a heart for them, but he didn't know how to reach them. And he listened to this message in the morning and I was doing a similar thing where I was coming back at night and he went straight from the morning service. He knew where one of them lived. Uninvited, he turned up with a whole carload full of groceries. And he knocked on his door and he said, hey, I just wanted to bless you. And he just kept bringing bag after bag to fill his freezer and his fridge and his pantry. And then at the end of it, he said, listen, this is totally unconditional. There's nothing you need to do. He said, but while I'm here, I wanted to see if you'd be my special guest tonight at our church service. And guess who the first man at the altar that night with tears streaming down his cheek receiving Jesus. It's not rocket science. Just keep showing people your good deeds and they'll give praise to God in heaven. See, Jesus, I said, my auntie did so does Jesus. Jesus embarrass us with generosity. Romans 5.8 says that while... That, that, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Just if the keyboarder could come. While we were still sinners. In other words, he didn't die for Lucas Connell. Once you get your life together and you start preaching, then I'll die. No, no, while I was still a sinner. While I was that boy with scabby lips that was saying things of absolute profanity, that while I was at my worst, he said, I'm gonna die for that kid. I'm gonna give him the gift called salvation and eternity that he'll be unwrapping for all of eternity, a thing called eternal life and salvation. He embarrassed us with generosity. The last thing, I'm gonna share this crazy part of my story, the last thing my auntie did, and it's the one that I'm the most thankful for, she came down to where I was at, so did Jesus. She embarrassed me with generosity, so did Jesus. But number three, she prayed. She's a Baptist lady. That's what she's kind of got saved in and grew up in. I'm a Pentecostal. I love, you know, the Holy Spirit. And, but, but her, she, she doesn't have a keyboard as she prays. It's just old school. Each night she'd get on her hands and knees when no one was watching. And she's told me the prayer that she prayed for me, that she prayed the same prayer for me for 17 years. Because I was the worst of all my cousins. I've got a lot of cousins, about 40 cousins. And, and I was leading them all astray. And so she prayed this prayer. She said, God, I can see what the devil's doing in his life. She said, but I pray that you'd make him a giant killer. You know, just before we planted a church, I travelled around the world for nine years. So tens of thousands of people give their lives to Jesus. Thousands get free of anxiety, depression, all kinds of stuff like that, crazy God encounters. And I don't say that to, to make myself look good, but I'm just showing you all I'm doing is riding the wave of 17 years of prayer. But the reason that I'm the most thankful she prayed is because what happened to me when I was 16. And again, I, I gotta warn you, this is a, it's, a, it's a demonic, crazy, out there story. Which is what happened to me. 
was 16 years old and I was with this girl and we're going to take acid. We'd done it a few times. But we heard this acid was super strong and we went to this house to buy it, a house in Glenroy. Very old house. These guys were in death metals, like kind of satanic worship. There were posters of slayer and root of all evil and demons and all the satanic symbols and that kind of stuff. And we bought the acid trip. And these older guys, they said, well, why don't, why don't you just take the trip here with us? This girl and I were 16. We thought, oh, may as well. And so I took this acid trip and within about an hour, I'm completely physically unconscious on the bedroom floor. For the rest of the night, I'm kind of not there in a physical state. I wasn't really a Christian. I, kind of, I wasn't a Christian at all, but I kind of believed there was a God. And as I'm unconscious, in my mind's eye, I'm fully awake and a darkness comes over me that I could never imagine existed. And then a being stood before me so clear in my mind's eye and he literally dripped with evil. I wasn't religious, but I knew who this was or at least who he represented. And he spoke to me and he said, you're dead. No one likes you. No one loves you. Nobody wants your soul. And then he said, who do you want to give your soul to? And it was like a fight where it was almost like he was a lawyer convincing me to just let go. And for the next three hours, I was tormented like I could never, ever properly articulate. Ridiculed, mocked, teased, teased laughed at the butt of every single joke. Pure evil to the point where at the end of it I was kind of discarded and I literally saw demon creatures ripping me apart. I remember being that 16 year old screaming in that moment thinking this can't be the end of my life. I'm just 16 years old. And after about three hours I woke up on that bedroom floor I got out of that house as quick as you can imagine. I still remember I lived in Buckley Street Essendon. I got home at one o'clock in the morning. I remember leaning against my bed after it thinking, man, that, that felt like the realest thing I've ever encountered. It felt realer than real. But I thought it couldn't be real. It's just what they call a bad trip. It's about a week later, I was out with some friends and we were here in North Melbourne visiting a bar called the Cantina Bar. I was sitting out the front, I'm 16 years old, minding my own business, and I'm in the back seat on the, on the passenger side. My friend was in the middle. I'm on my own business. And he randomly turns to me and he says, I heard you met the devil the other week. And as soon as he said those words, it was like the exact same evil came over my whole being. And I was literally for about a minute, I was paralyzed in fear. And as I'm there paralyzed, he's just asked about the, the, the devil. We're about to go into the cantina bar. He looks at me, but it was like he looked into me and he said, guess who's going to be at the cantina bar tonight? And it was literally like the evil spoke through him directly to me saying, I'm still here. For the next two years of my life, I would have been diagnosed with drug-induced psychosis. But really what had happened was there was demonic oppression that it attached itself to me with the drug that I took and the environment that I was in. And it followed me around. And I would, and I would hear these voices every day I go to school. Nobody likes you. Nobody loves you. You should kill yourself. The thing that makes this so crazy 
is the voice in my head I never told one person because I was sane enough to know that they would say that I was crazy. The thing that makes it crazy is the voice convinced me that who I'd met that night was not the devil, but I'd met God, the creator of all things, who controlled, and I, a hundred, as crazy as it sounds, I believed 100% that I'd met God, but He took pleasure in my torment. And every day He'd tell me to kill myself, and every now and again I'd ask this question in my head, and I'd say, well, hang on, if you're God and you control all things, why do you want me to kill myself? Why didn't you just kill me that night when I was on the acid trip? And as sharp as anything, that voice would say, because I hate you so much, I'm gonna torment you here on earth and then I'm gonna take you and torment you for the whole of eternity. And as a 16 to 19 year old boy, there were so many nights that I cried myself to sleep at night because I believed that I met God, but He took pleasure in my torment. I got to 19 and I could not take it anymore. And I made a decision to end my life. I'd worked out how I was gonna do it. I'm about a week away from the date that I'm gonna end my life and I'm at home and of all shows, I'm sitting there during the day, I'm watching Oprah Winfrey. Oprah saved my life. And the guests on her show were people that had actually died for one minute, two minutes, three minutes, they flatlined. And they were there to talk about what they saw. And everyone just saw a white tunnel, a white light, it was very new age. I was only half watching. I was playing solitaire, probably on drugs. I was only half watching. I think what a load of rubbish. I didn't see no white light. And then at the end, there was a guy in the crowd and he was a professor, American professor. And, and, and he put his hand up and said, can I share my story? It's very different. And he says, well, he was a college professor in America. He's a staunch atheist, which means he believed 100% there was no God. And, and, and he went traveling through Europe. But while he was traveling, he had a perforation in his intestines. He was rushed to a hospital and he flatlined for three minutes in a European hospital. He said too, he's shocked because he was an atheist. He said he couldn't believe it, but his soul and spirit left his body and he was watching the doctors operate on his open stomach. He said, this is on Oprah Winfrey, these beings came and they started to take him away from where his body was. And he said, the further we got away, they started being meaner to me. They started to mock me, to tease me, to laugh at me, to beat me. And then he said this thing that rocked my world. On Oprah Winfrey, he said, they turned in these demon creatures and they began to rip my soul apart. He's clinically dead. And then he said a little voice on the inside, said, ask God for help. And an atheist professor, probably 55 years old, prayed the first prayer in his whole life as he's clinically dead. And he said, God, if you're real, can you help me? And he woke up with defibrillators on his chest and on Oprah Winfrey, he gave glory to Jesus Christ. It was in that moment that I realised the answer to my question about why I didn't die that night. I received such a demonic, hopeless answer. But it was that night that I realised the reason I didn't die is because there was a God in heaven who loved me and had a plan for my life. And, and since then, I've kind of realised that, that, that what I just said was true and it was a game changer for me. But if my theology says the reason I didn't die that night was because God had a plan for me, then you've got to ask the question, why do people die every single day without the love of God? Why do mums and dads, people in retirement homes, people on drugs, doesn't God love them? The Bible says He does. Doesn't God have a plan for them? And what I've become convinced of as I just about close, what, what, what I've become convinced of is the only reason that I'm standing right here in the flesh preaching to you. The only reason that I'm not an article in the local Glenroy paper 
some 30 years ago about another 16-year-old that overdosed on an acid trip. The only reason that today I'm not a photo on my mother's mantelpiece, which would have been my 16-year-old debutante ball photo in my ugly green suit and too much gel in my hair. And 30 years later, people would have walked into my mum's house and they would have saw the old photo and they would have said, who's the boy? And with a tear in her eye, she would have said, he was our son, but one night he took an acid trip and he overdosed. The only reason I'm here today, the only reason I'm not that article, the only reason I'm not that photo is because there was one of the Lord's army that made a decision that I'm not gonna let apathy rock my world. I'm not gonna be consumed by materialism, but I'm gonna keep going before heaven and saying, God, I'm back again. Don't you forget my, my nephew, Lucas Connell. He's gonna be a giant killer. God, I'm back again. Don't you forget my... And the only reason I'm here today is because one of the Lord's army. And see, my question to you is who will you carry to the table? Who will you not judge, but go down to where they're at? Who will you show generosity to, to bring to the kid? And who will you stand in the gap and pray for when nobody else is watching? Remember I said that my auntie did these three things and Jesus sort of did? My auntie came down to where I was at, so did Jesus. My auntie embarrassed me with generosity, so did Jesus. My auntie stood in the gap and prayed for my salvation. Jesus didn't. Bible says that Jesus intercedes for the saints, but He's banking on the fact that the saints would do the interceding for the ones that aren't yet in the kingdom, that the saints wouldn't just live a, a, a beautiful little Christian party to themselves, but that they would be motivated for the kingdom of God, that they would stand in the gap and say, Jesus, you're interceding for me, so let me intercede for the ones that don't know you. Yes. I'm gonna pray into that in just a moment, but I wonder if you're here today. And you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe somebody brought you along. Maybe you've been away from God, but you felt a prompting just to be back in church. Let me tell you today, what you've heard is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reality is, I don't care what anyone else says, and I'll say it unapologetically. There is a devil that wants to steal, kill, and destroy but at the same time, there's a God that's so full of love that He was so motivated by love for you that He sent His Son to be beaten, to be whipped, to have nails through His hands and His feet. And His Son came knowing that He was dying on the cross for you so that your sin could never separate you from the love of God. See, today, you've heard the Gospel. But in a sense, now it's up to you because I can't choose for you. I chose for me. And today I'm here because God is revealing His grace and His goodness to you because He wants you to receive salvation on the inside. He wants you to leave this place knowing that you are a child of God, that you are a daughter that is loved by heaven, that you are a son that's not condemned, that's not shamed, but you are a son of the Most High God. And I want to ask every person in this place just to
bow your head and close your eyes. And I wanna simply ask that question. If you're here today and you've either never given your life to Jesus, in just a moment, I'm gonna count to three. And if you've never done this before, I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna bring you out the front, but just so I know who to pray for. When I get to three, if you've never done it, you're gonna lift your hand, I'll see it. You put it down and when I pray, I'll include you in the prayer. Or, or there's others here and you just know in your heart of hearts, you're not right with God. For, for whatever happened, you were once, you knew you were good and you were right, but you just know in your heart of hearts, He's not your Lord anymore. You've walked away within your heart. And the great news of that is it only takes one sentence to bring your heart back right with God. God, I'm sorry for what I've done and I give you my life again. It's as simple, don't let the devil complicate it. It's as simple as that. So I wanna pray for those two groups of people. One, you've never done this before. Or two, you have, but you just know you're not right with God. Every eye closed, every head bowed, I'll count to three. When I get to three, if you know those two groups, lift your hand, I'll see it, you put it down. One, friend, I tell you, He loves you more than you've ever dreamed or imagined. Two, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been or who you are, you're God's precious son or daughter. Three, all over this place. Come on, that's you, lift your hand right now. Come on, just lift, yeah, I see your hand. Yeah, come on, just lift, lift your hand right now if that's you in this place. Come on, if that's you in this place right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you right now. Holy Spirit, with every eye closed, with every eye closed, I thank you right now. Holy Spirit, every eye closed. Is there someone just saying yes to the love of Jesus? Come on, if your heart's beating out of its chest right now, it's because He loves you so much. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much. God, I thank you so much. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I just feel like there's someone right now and your heart's beating out of its chest. Come on, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but quickly lift your hand and I'll include you in the prayer. Don't go home the way that you walked in right now. Come on, just lift your hand. Holy Spirit, yeah, good on you, sir. So proud of you, put your hand down. Come on, someone else. Is it, was there someone else? Yeah, I see your hand there as well. So proud of you. Come on, come on, someone else. That's two people, so proud of you. I feel like there's more. Is there someone else? Come on, who wants to join these two people just saying yes to Jesus? So good. So proud of those two people. Here's what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray a prayer, but we're all gonna pray it together. But if you're one of those two, mean these words with all your heart. Say, dear Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sin. I'm sorry for everything that I've done wrong. Today, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to close with one prayer. If, if everyone could just stand to your feet, if that's okay. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to respond to the message in a sense. And, and, and what I want you to do is I'm going to pray collectively as the Lord's army but we're all gonna join together and not kind of a, a weak, wimpy prayer. We're gonna, we're gonna pray as the Lord's army anointed by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when I pray, what I want you to do is I want you to lift your hands representing the individual people that you're believing. Because the reality is no one wins the city of Melbourne, but, but you win a few and you win a few and you win a few and they win a few and they win a few and, and that's how you win the city of Melbourne. And so it's personal responsibility right now as I pray, because I, I want you to lift your hands, but lifting them saying, and it might just be a few people because I can't be generous to everyone, but I can be generous to a few. And so, and so who are the few 
that you're saying, I'm not going to judge them. I'm going to embarrass them with generosity, but I'm going to keep interceding until the day they receive Jesus Christ. I'm going to invite them next week to Father's Day so that they can be in the house of God. So, so I want you right now, you get those people in your heart. When you've got them, lift your, lift your hands to Jesus. I'm going to pray. And then Pastor Craig's going to come. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I bring before you on behalf of the collective of the Lord's army that's here today, I bring before you every single person that is being thought of and imagined. God, I don't care if they're in the psychiatric ward. I don't care if they're on ice. I don't care if they're living some other ungodly lifestyle. God, it does not matter where they're at or what they're doing. We declare and we speak salvation into their hearts. We pray for a visitation of the Holy Spirit that you would arrest their attention. God, we thank you for souls in the name of Jesus. And I declare over this house, I thank you for already the previous testimonies. But God, we declare it as a house of salvation, Father. We declare it as a trophy room of God's grace, Father. So God, I thank you for every person for salvation in Jesus' name is yes and amen. Come on, let's give God praise in this place. We trust that you are encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at our Melbourne campus. If you're not in Melbourne, then join us for Church Online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifeau.org to stay connected and find out more.